Welcome back, everyone, to another broadcast of In the Trenches. I'm excited to sit down with Vincent Lo Tempio today, and you can find his work at lotempiolaw.com. And Vincent is a registered patent attorney. And in today's conversation, we talk about patents, copyright, and trademarks, what they are, how they're distinctive and distinct from one another, what they actually do for you, because I think there's a lot of myths around copyright, trademarks, and patents who should file a trademark or a patent, and who should register a copyright, and what it costs in a ballpark range to do all of the above. So today's conversation is technical, but very practical. So whether you're brand new to this stuff, or you're more experienced and you've filed a trademark or registered a copyright, or you've already begun the process of uh, registering a patent, I think you're going to find a lot of value in today's conversation. So without further ado, let's get to it. So Vincent, what is the difference between a trademark and copyright? This has to be like the number one question I get asked all the time, both from authors and publishers who are interested in this idea of copyright, but then the other group of my audience are entrepreneurs, creators, uh, inventors, and so the ideas of copyright, trademark, what do I have to file, how, I know we'll get into some of that today, but let's just start with the basics. Like, What's the dis- distinction between a trademark and copyright? Well, don't feel bad. I, I get lawyers calling me up and they don't know the difference. So I want to copyright this, trade back, mark that, and they don't they don't really understand the difference. So what I've done, I've I got a Coca-Cola bottle sitting on my desk right now. And I say the Coca-Cola bottle is an example of all different types of intellectual property. You know, if you were the first person to invent the bottle, um, it's a container that holds a liquid. It has utility. You could have gotten the patent on the use of the bottle. Um, but the trademark on the outside of it is the Coca-Cola name. A trademark, they call it a source indicator. So when I go into Dick's Sporting Goods, I know when I buy a pair of Nike sneakers that only Nike can put that name on it. Only Nike can put that Nike swoosh on it. Adidas or Puma or anybody else can't do it. So as a consumer, I'm protected. And as a manufacturer, I'm protected. Nobody else could you know, steal my good name or dilute my good name. It's, that's the trademark. Copyright, you could argue that the Coca-Cola bottle is a fancy work of art. You know, the, the, it's a work. But because it's a util, it has utility and it's functional, you couldn't get a, a, a copyright on a bottle. But if there was some sort of separable art on it, you could, like if there was a picture or a drawing on the, on the bottle. So a copyright protects your work of art, your, your um, statue, your photograph, your, your music, your, um, you know, the CD, the video. So copyright um, protects the work, the trademark protects the name, and the patent protects the utility. Okay, perfect. This is a very good intro, very good, I think, just summary of those main points. So where I want to go next is, when is it important or crucial to actually file or, or, or create any sort of like official copyright? And I ask that, I guess the underlying uh, question there is, I'm under the impression, I could be wrong, of course, that when you produce something, and if there's some sort of like, say, timestamp to show proof of that thing, uh, writing, art, whatever it might be, you, you have like a de facto copyright to it. But I know that's also not like the right thing to do and to just leave it at that. I'm sure there's implications there that might be negative. But Walk me through this process of copyright first. Like, when is it appropriate for me to try to get a copyright, like official copyright paperwork done for um, some of my art or my writing? 
Yeah, you know, I, I have this is one of my pet peeves. People say I want to copyright this or I want to trademark that. And what they're really saying is I'd like to register my my copyright. I'd register my trademark with the federal government. So you're right. The minute you put it into tangible form, like if you create a dance and you write out the steps, it's in tangible form. If you just do the dance or just sing the song out loud, it's not in a tangible form unless you record it. So the minute you put it in a tangible form, um, the notes I'm taking right now as we're talking, I have a copyright interest in that. And it's a common law interest. So you called it de facto and, and it's really the common law rights. So what you need to do is register your your um, copyright so that you have statutory rights. And why is that important? Well, it's important because um, proving damages is very difficult in a copyright case. So in a in a like just say you were at my um, house and you tripped on my sidewalk and you sued me for a broken leg. So the the local um, um, you know I don't want to maybe I shouldn't even name. Um, Salino and Barnes is the is the personal injury attorneys here in Buffalo. They have you know thousands of cases. They have you know probably a list of what a broken arm is worth, what a broken leg is, what an amputation is. It's easy to judge that value, that value of the of the broken leg. But when somebody copies your one copy of your of your song or your or your work, it's hard to determine what the, the value is. So if you don't have it registered, you can't get statutory damages and you're going to have to prove, you know, how many sales you lost, how it diluted your mark. And you have to prove your, what your damages are. Where yet, if you have um, filed it, you get statutory damages up to 150000 per um, infringement. So you automatically get statutory damages You and you also get... Um, I shouldn't say automatically. Your your those statutory are are available to you. The judge still has to reward reward those to you, award those damages to you. So the other thing is, if you register your trademark, your copyright, it's there's a presumption that you own it now, and they have to overcome that presumption because it's it's been registered. So there's and there's a long list, and I I could give you a list of the benefits, and maybe we can put a link back up before I get into all the the details of it but I can give it to you and you could give share it with your with your readers and 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 I'll have a link up at my site um, um, Latempio law slash trenches or just for this podcast and I'll I'll include that on that on that site okay perfect yeah let's make sure we do that and for those listening this will definitely be linked to on the show notes so my next question then and that makes a lot of sense to me that's kind of how I understood it I wasn't actually uh, savvy on the uh, the statutory damages piece of the copyright, though, that to me kind of makes it more um, meaningful to actually then go and register the copyright. In, yeah, obviously, in everybody less. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, if you look at any movie or any any CD or anything, everybody registers it because of those statutory benefits. So you don't want to have the poor man's copyright. You know, you want to have that. You want to register it. Yep. Okay. Great. So. Now let's talk trademark. This is another one that I look into actually quite a bit. Um, have gone through the process for a couple um, couple items. So not fully through the process, but have started the process for a couple. So this is actually very good timing. And I've been reading up on trademark. And again, so here's my layman's uh, understanding of this space. But one of the things it seems like I found interesting was that well, let's let's talk a little bit about. Well, you already talked about why trademarks are, are val or what what they protect. 
Uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about why they're valuable. But I was noticing one of these things that I noticed um, when I was doing my research was that you can actually use, like, say, the tr like that little TM, that little indicator of trademark, on something that hasn't actually been filed, if I'm not mistaken. Because that was actually one of the things I was really curious about. It seemed like I was noticing some people who had trademarks on, on certain things. And I, I went through the database, um, and I didn't find anything. And then I, I dug deeper and did some reading in it. And it seems like... Uh, that you can use the, the trademark initials uh, as an indicator if you're in the process of, of going through uh, trademark, uh, you know, registering a trademark. Uh, is well, that yeah, true? The, yeah, and, yeah, that, and walk me through that. Yeah, it's a very good observation. You know, I, I always look at those things because I'm, you know, in the field and I'm and I say, now that I tell you about it, you know, pay attention and you'll notice it. If you look little SM or a little TM, it's a superscript or a subscript in in combination with a trademark, and you'll notice it being used a lot. So before I talked about um, common law rights. So the minute you start using your trademark, the minute you start using your um, you, you create your copyright, you own common law rights in it. So by putting that little SM on there or that little TM on there, um, you are telling everybody that I'm giving you notice that I have a common law right in this, I am using this in commerce, and that stay away from it, it's my mark. You're just putting people on notice that it's your trademark. So again, you get you get all these benefits of registration. So, and I always say registration is more than just filling out a form. And I, you know, I wish you luck in filling out the form yourself. But there's so many legal um, problems that could arise that, that you're not aware of, and you you have to be careful in what you in how you do it. So, with the trademark, um, the federal government gets power to regulate the citizens in each different state. Um, through the Commerce Clause. So there has to be commerce. You have to be actually selling a product or a service. And that's what the SM stands for, a service mark. Uh, you have to be um, selling a product or a service using your trademark as your source indicator in order to give the federal government the power to be able to regulate you and be able to give you a, you know, a, a the uh, certificate of registration. So what happens when you register and you're on the principal register of the, of the United States Patent and Trademark Office? So you, again, you're putting everybody on notice. So there's there's actual notice and there's constructive notice. So you put up a sign, Joe's Cleaners, and and then down the street, somebody else puts up another sign, Joe's Cleaners. Um, and he can say, well, I never, I never knew that you were there until you sent me the letter. And that's when you gave me actual notice. Well, when you file your trademark and you and you register it, you put everybody on constructive notice in the entire country that this is my trademark and you know don't don't step on it. And you know one of your first questions was, well, what benefits do I get? I always say, the benefits are are twofold. It's, I call it the sword and the shield. So the sword, you use it to stop the guy down the street from putting Joe's cleaners on his on his um, sign and you stop him from doing it. And the shield is he can't say, oh, I, I was here first. Um, you know, I, you stop, you stop doing it. Now you have the certificate of registration. And like I said before, you have the, uh, um, the presumption that you own it because you registered it. But, but that's just part of the, the story. I mean, when you first file your trademark, um, they do a, 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 what's called the give everybody notice on the National Gazette and they publish it. It's a publication period for 30 days. And the government gives you 
anyone in the in the world to say um, to challenge it. It's called an opposition to, to oppose your trademark. And if if they can say that, oh, we used it first, and he's just trying to to register this now, or she is trying to register it now after after they saw us using it, and we would be harmed by this. And there's an there's a through the trademark trial and appeal board. It's like a very it's almost like a trial, but it's an administrative proceedings with with three um, hearing officers to listen to both sides and see who should get the trademark. So they'll give anybody a chance to oppose it in that 90 days. Now, if nobody opposes it in 90 days, and like like you you know you're talking, who the hell reads the the National Gazette for the USPTO, and it's easy to miss it. So they don't want to just say, oh, if you miss those 30 days, you're done. After it gets registered, there's a five-year period they could actually start a cancellation period and try to get your your trademark canceled if they can argue that you know you stole the the mark from them if they had it first. So it's very important to start using the trademark right away because as soon as you put that sign up, as soon as you put up your website, you start gaining those common law rights to say, look, I'm the first user, I'm the prior user, even though I didn't win the race to the to the um, the patent office and get it registered. So within the first five years, anybody could try to cancel your mark. After five years, in between the fifth and sixth year of the time that you register it, you as the trademark owner could file what's called a statement of incontestability, where nobody can contest it after that point. And you've used it for five years in commerce. Nobody can contest it. So that'll be your true shield once you get through those five years and it's registered and you should be in good shape. But but that's, you know... No, no rules are absolute. The Washington Redskins got their trademark canceled because at the time they filed it, you know, 60 years ago or 70 years ago, calling somebody a Redskin wasn't a derogatory name, and now it's deemed derogatory for the Na- Native Americans. And and uh, and the Patent Office said, you know, it's against public policy. And and even though the cancellation period's over, we're we're going to cancel this. So maybe someday somebody will look at your trademark as being a, a derogatory term, and and you know they'll they'll get rid of it. But you know chances of that happening are are small. And like I said before, I kind of go off into tangents if you well, want to. Yeah, that I, I I thought I was like that story's interesting. I actually had no idea that that happened. I think in passing I kind of did because I watched the South Park episode. I think making fun of that particular scenario but that's the extent of of my knowledge around say the the washington uh, redskins trademark i didn't realize that they could actually pull a trademark that's that's crazy to me but uh, let's just assume that for most people it's probably not going to be an issue i think the rest of that seemed uh spot on for where i would assume most people are at and the question i want to ask though to kind of dovetail from that was at a minimum then it sounds like i sh- like at a minimum with my business or anybody who's listening to this like you should begin to mark your, you know, your, your stuff, you know? So if like, if you have a title for something or, uh, you know, a service and it's got a particular name or branding or something like that, it's important that at least visually speaking, we do place some sort of marker there. Um, and then we can go to the process of actually getting it registered or filing if we want later on. But at a minimum, it sounds like the right course of action is to at least uh, make sure that that marking is up there visually for people to see. Is that correct? Yes, and you know I say you know play Hansel and Gretel with the with the breadcrumbs and you know keep a good record. I started using it here. We started putting it in this website and this pamphlet and this business card. 
let's save all that. So if it ever comes to, you know, who used it first, we have proof. You know, the problem with, um, you know, people are afraid to show anything, especially, you know, new entrepreneurs that are afraid to give up their idea. And they're, and, and people say, well, shouldn't we wait till it's registered before we start using it? What happens if somebody else has it? So it would be a good idea to do not just a search on Google and general search to see if anybody's using it, but to see if anybody's registered it. And and the rule for, for trademark isn't that they're using it identically. It's that it's confusingly similar. So they'll look for phonetic equivalents. If if somebody else has crystal clear cleaners and you want to put all K's in there instead of C's, it's still going to be considered a, a confusingly similar mark and you're not going to be allowed to have it. And how does but, that how, how does satire uh, <laughs> impact on there? Which I know would probably get a totally different tangent and different probably part of the law, but like satire or comedy or things like that, are they still like s- same rules apply or is there like wiggle room for something like that? Well, yeah, but that's not so much a trademark. That's the copyright side. So the copyright side is, 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 you know, it's a a derivative work, you know, like weird Al Yankovic, you know, singing those songs. It's a derivative or, or Andy Warhol making, um, the Mona Lisa or with cook with Campbell soups, you know, it's a derivative of, of what the original art is. So those are considered fair uses and, and those all certainly have to be considered at a case by case scenario. But but that's that's more of the copyright. Can I copy somebody's work, and is it a fair use, and is it a material, um, you know, uh, use of it? Is it a, you know, there's all these different factors that go into whether it's a fair use. But for, for, for um, uh, trademark, it's it's a little different. You could have Domino's Pizza and Domino's Sugar, and nobody's confused. But if you were if Domino's Pizza was going to start selling salt in the same aisle, then there'd be a problem. You know, if there's Big Mac hamburgers and Big Mac trucks, but when you're buying the truck, you're not even thinking that somebody named McDonald is making hamburgers and selling you a truck. There's, there's no confusion. But if, again, if if they started selling, you know, you know, Mac cars or something, there there could be a there could be confusion. So there's a lot of factors that go into the confusion, and there's a lot of factors that go into whether or not you're going to be allowed the trademark. But I think you know if if we want to just you know, pare it down to the bare bones. Um, you're you're going to start using the mark. Let's search it first. Let's just make pretty sure that it's not there. And and you know, I'm I'm really cautious in most most accounts when I do a search. And you know, I am pretty good at, at saying yeah, this is this is a good this is a good trademark or not. Um, the patent in, uh, is a different story though. If you use your your patent in public and somebody sees it and they file it before you, they win the race to the patent office, they get the patent. So it, it, there's no question about who used it first. It used to be at one time before they signed the American Invents Act into into law, like in 2013, Obama signed it into law. Um, it used to be whoever invented it first. And if you could say, well, I was in Latempio's you know, law office and he, he could attest that, that I had it, you know, in October, it might have taken a couple of months to file it. And before that, I didn't, you know, it took me a couple of months to get to them. And before I was ready, we can prove that we had the idea back in August and we can do what was known as a swearing back affidavit and swear behind the date. But now the rule is whoever just wins the race to the patent office gets it. Unless unless you can show that they actually stole it for you and they call that a derivation proceeding, they, they derived it from you. Maybe I was working for you at your company and I quit 
and then I and I had a right to sign that that invention over to you, but I left the company and, and filed it on my own. They could do a derivation proceeding against me, or if you can show that I went to your you know your house or your business and I told you about my idea, and we signed a non-disclosure agreement and we give proof that that I showed it to you, and then you went out and tried to file it before me. I could stop you from getting the the patent, but. But overall, it's it's a race to the patent office and whoever gets there first. So it's different for patents than trademarks. And I guess for the inventors, the rule is make sure you have something filed before you show it to anybody for the tr- for the for the patent. But for the trademark, the more you use it and the and the, and the more you can prove that you can use it and that you used it first, you'll gain your common law rights by by using the trademark. Interesting. That's, uh, I, I think, an important distinction there. I didn't realize that about patents. I have a buddy who's going through that process right now, and he tells me it's quite the pain. Uh, it sounds like of, of the three, uh, filing a patent might be the most difficult. Um, can you elaborate on that? And then also, where does it cost to, to do these various things? Like if I want to file a patent, if I want to register a trademark uh, or copyright or, or file a trademark, what like what are the general... Um, What's the range of cost for something like this? And I know there's different, like we could, you could try to do it yourself. You could hire a lawyer, probably go to somebody like you who has experience in this and is an expert. Um, so there's probably a multitude of ways to do it. But what are the range so people have an idea, like is this worth my time and money investing in at this point, at this juncture, we'll say? You will, I always say, well, if you're making a million dollars selling the stuff, spending you know 10000 just throwing a number out there, isn't a lot. But if you're not making anything, spending 10000 might as well be a million bucks and you're just throwing money out the window. So I think the cost is always going to be, you know, how much protection do I need and, and do I want to save that million dollars or, or, you know, just to protect it. And, and, and I guess the look, first question always becomes return on investment, you know especially with these new entrepreneurs and startups. I mean, every penny is is precious because, it, you know, where is it best spent? And you don't want to just throw it out the window, but you still need to protect yourself. And I think there's there's all different costs, you know, different people charge different amounts. I try to, to, to be towards the, not I don't know if the middle or the bottom, but I'm not a big um, firm that, you know, I think if you went to one of the, you know, a real big firm, they're going to tell you 12000 to start any, patent and then they're going to bill you by the hour and it's going to end up being like 17 or 20,000. I usually try to, to keep it for a minimal um, um, invention for, for a patent around $5,000 is what I try to, to, to keep it at and try to keep a, a flat fee. So it's a, um, the, the inventor has an idea of how much their budget is from the start. And, and that's, inc- you know, that includes the drawings because you're going to have to get professional drawings done of what your invention is because you have to describe it as such that somebody skilled in the art can make and use it. They called it enable it, enablement. So if your idea is to, to the, for the new cell, the new um, cell phone in 1964, you know, flip your phone open, um, um, Captain Kirk to Enterprise, beam me aboard, Scotty. I mean, that idea was out there in 1964, but they couldn't describe it, how to make and use it at the time. It was just an idea. You know, and then the flip phone didn't come into reality until probably the late 80s, early 90s. And and that's when you were able to get the patent because you were able to describe it as such. And you're going to need to have drawings and very, very difficult. I call it... Um, um, doing a term paper every day of my life, you know, is trying to draft a, a patent. The trademark isn't so much. I, I, I basically bill $725 to, 
to, to um, do a trademark application and the the government fee is 225 so I try to keep under a thousand it's nine 950 is what I charge and I'm sure you can find all different ranges but that's probably in, in the ballpark um, we charge 350 to do a search just because we want to make sure before we file it that that you know there's not something really obvious that's going to knock us out of the park so we want to do a search um, in, in the beginning and uh, um, and for a for a, for a copyright, it's real simple because there's no search. It's just auto, it just automatically goes through. I basically bill an hour time to do it, and I bill three twenty five an hour, and it's a fifty five dollar government fee, so it's around four hundred dollars, you know, three whatever that adds up to. But I mean, it's a real simple thing. And I I remember one of the first patent attorneys I worked with says, you know, it's more just a time consuming. Thing and you could probably teach, you know, anybody can do it because all you have to do is really file it and get it filed in the right area. Although there's a, a bunch of different, you know, types of, of, of areas that you have to file it in. So, but it's a real basic, simple thing just to get it, get it registered. And the, the copyright, you know, these are just some facts. Copyrights last from um, your life. As long as you're alive, the copyright's good for. And uh, plus 70 years after you die. It used to be 55, but then... Sonny Bono changed it for Walt Disney and added it when his copyrights were coming due, you know, 55 years after his death. I think his copyrights will start to start to uh, um, end pretty soon. Uh, I don't know if it's been 70 years since Walt's death, but but basically they changed the rule just for for Disney. Um, for trademarks, it's there, you can renew them every 10 years. Um, so, but you have to pay the maintenance fee so that they, they could go on in for infinity. So Coca-Cola, as long as it's a corporation and they're selling Coke, will, will be able to renew their trademarks. Um, as far as patents are concerned, it's for a design patent. And we talked about the Coca-Cola bottle before. The shape of the bottle itself is a design. So you can make a, any kind of bottle. You just can't make it look like Coca-Cola. So if I was to say 7-Up or or Pepsi or RC Cola, in your mind, you just pictured the shape of the bottles. Um, that could be registered as a design patent. And in, in fact, one of the most um, powerful design patents ever was just the shape of the iPhone. I think there was a billion dollar lawsuit that that, that, uh, that uh, came about by just the design, just the look of it. And those are good for 15 years. And utility patents, you know, the like we talked before, the use of the bottle, the, the fact that the bottle holds a liquid that would be a very strong utility patent if i can stop everybody from making any kind of a bottle that holds a liquid that would be hugely powerful but those are good for um 20 years from the date that you file it it usually takes about two to three years to get your patent so your your patent's probably enforced for around 17 years and then there's maintenance fees that have to be paid the fourth the eighth and the twelfth year and uh, they go up incrementally as as time goes on and and obviously, if you're not making money and you're and you have a patent, you're not going to pay the maintenance fees. If you are making money and you're selling it, and then you're going to protect it. It's very important that you pay those maintenance fees. Awesome. Well, Vincent, I think we covered a lot of ground here and a great place for people to get started, get some quick insights. Um, where can people reach out to find you? You shared some of your numbers, which I think seem reasonable. But if people are interested in learning more, I know you have a website, and of course, you have your services. So where should people go? to connect with you and get in touch with you. Yeah, I have my own personal website. I started writing a blog 
um, way back, I guess, about 18 years ago. So there's a lot of information on my blog at latempiolaw.com. And like I said, we're going to put up a, a slug, latempiolaw.com slash trenches, where just some information here. And if you want to say that you heard me on, on this you know this podcast, I, I can give you a discounted rate. I'll, I'll throw in the trademark search for free. Um, if you want to give me a call and let me know that you heard me, um, I have seven Facebook pages, you know, I have my patent home. I have my Latempio law, my Latempio Facebook page. And I have, uh, my, my law office is Klaus Stinger and Latempio. I'm a partner in a law firm and we have our, our website, Klaus, uh, Klauslaw.com. And, and I have Latempio law as my personal one because, you know, I told you I'd started that podcast or, or the um, the blog way back when and I didn't want to lose all that traction that I had so I've always ha- held on to that personal web page and and our my phone number here is 716-853-1111 and uh, if you go on my YouTube channel it's patent home YouTube channel if you just type in the word patent you'll you'll find me I'm on the first page of of YouTube I have about 40 uh, videos up there asking answer ask answering um, FAQs, real short questions, and I have some long interviews on there too. And I hope to post this up on, on YouTube too. So if you call that 800 number on the YouTube, it'll go right through to my cell phone and you can talk to me directly. I sometimes question my sanity about putting that on the on there and linking it to my cell phone. And people call it and they're surprised. They think they're going to get an answering machine and I answer the phone at, at like three in the morning or at eight at night or at crazy hours. I still pick it up if I'm I'm available. You can call me directly and talk to me right on my cell phone. Awesome. Well, Vincent, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and knowledge with us on patents, on trademarks and copyright. Really appreciate having you on In the Trenches. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Tom. Have a great day. Thanks a lot.